What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for a very special Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. I'm your host, Joe Orico, and you guys can hit me up on Twitter at JoeOrico99. And you can check out all the great work from the other writers here at Sports Ethos at E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB, Ethos Fantasy BB on Twitter. We're doing a little giveaway over there right now, so go and check it out if you guys have a minute. We have a very fun episode planned for you today. I'm joined by two of the more fun people in the industry, two of the better fantasy players and analysts as well in the industry. So this one should be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking NFBC, but we're also going to be talking general strategy as well. Rob Silver, he is a co-host of the Launch Angle podcast, and he does a ton of other stuff we're going to get to in a minute. And Mike Curland, he is at Mike underscore Curland. Rob is at Rob Silver on Twitter. Mike does work for pretty much everybody at this point the athletic fantasy pros he does a ton of stuff we're gonna get to hear about all of that in just a second but guys thank you so much for taking the time this evening i really appreciate it always a pleasure man thanks for having us on yeah good to be back with you joe i'm uh, i'm looking forward to this in a while uh but definitely good to have both of you guys back mike why don't we start with you just let us know real quick what you got going on right now like i mentioned you're doing uh, quite a bit of work for a few different places yeah, that's always been the problem with me. Is I usually I have always a hard time niching down, focusing down. But like in season right now, it's actually been just to the Patreon, the GTE uh, Fantasy Patreon that I do my lineup stuff there. Uh, two, probably three to four write ups a week still there about just breaking down all the latest and playing time. I've started including savant recaps, uh, so I look at all the savant data every day, trying to catch like mostly pitcher velocity changes, uh, pitch mix changes, or like stuff like that, change in movement and pitches, just trying to get, keep stay ahead or stay up to date on the latest uh, things to try to react to for fantasy purposes. And all that is included with the line, like I said, lineup trends, uh, trending up, trending down, playing time, uh, performance, et cetera. So that's really been the main focus for the athletic. I do it's changed up and down terms like biweekly to like a monthly uh, piece of work, but it's the same concept. But instead of being so granular, it's kind of like a, let's try to break down every single team or the latest 10 things that have happened but like in detail so but it's been a lot of that just um a lot of the monitoring a lot of the niche stuff that's kind of like my main focus in season but then beyond that you mentioned our fantasy pros i do preseason content for them uh base load podcast i barely post it anymore because i just don't have time but that's it's, it's a lot more fun to do definitely in the preseason so that's enough about me i'll let rob talk now <laughs> rob tell us what you got going on outside of launch angle and tell us about launch angle as well because it's a great show uh, it's kind of you. Um, yeah, we restarted, Jeff Silverman and I, uh, Launch Angle with a new host. Uh, family uh, was moving on, so we got, uh, we're very lucky to have Rob DiPietro uh, uh, hosting the, the Launch Angle since uh, since February. I think we, we started again. We're alternating between publicly available podcasts and podcasts that get posted to Rob's uh, Patreon, but that's been fun. Uh, other than that, uh, as as, uh, as Mike said, just uh, shit posting and uh, and mocking people. That's about all I have uh, going on and uh, uh, managing my uh, my fantasy teams. But uh, but no, I don't I don't work hard like you guys. You guys hump it out every single day. I'm in a, I'm in a luxury position where I don't uh, have to produce content if I don't feel like it. And you put in the work though. It's not like you just you know stumbled upon where you are. That you put in the work. Uh, we're going to talk about some of your work later on uh, in terms of your fantasy success because that's going to be a huge topic here today. We're going to be talking about overalls. And if you're not familiar with an overall tournament, I wouldn't blame you. <clears throat> it is kind of a niche subject within fantasy. The people who are involved in it are very focused on it. It's essentially a larger... What's the best way to describe an overall? Just like a huge league, essentially, comprised of many smaller leagues. Is that, would, that, would that be a fair way to describe it, Rob? 
So the way I explain it to somebody who's played in a fantasy league, whether it's fantasy football or fantasy baseball, but have never competed, it's really the NFBC. In the football side, there's a bunch of people who do the overall, but let's stick with the NFBC because we're a baseball podcast here today. Um, is you're drafting ultimately against 11 or 14 men and women in your league. And at the draft, it is no different than any other uh, draft during the season in terms of what you're actually doing day-to-day, week-to-week to manage your team. It's no different from any other fantasy league. You are picking up free agents against the fourth. Let's stick with 15-team leagues or 14 other people uh, in your league. You're trying to win your league. And there's still a competition to win your league or finish second in your league or finish third uh, in your league. But then, uh, let's say, just to make the math simple, there were 20 other uh, leagues that also drafted in your competition. Uh, The only difference is instead of just being ranked, and it's all roto, from 1st to 15th in home runs, stolen bases, and so on, you're instead in this 20-league hypothetical ranked from 1st to 300th. So if you have the most home runs of the 15 uh, of the 20 leagues, sorry, you got 300 points, then 299 all the way down to one. And there's a much bigger prize if you beat all 300 of the teams in that uh, competition. So people ask, well, doesn't that mean that Aaron Judge is owned 20 times? Yes. Like there are lots of player overlap. There's lots of overlap. And there's nothing you can do directly to impact. If Mike is in League One and I'm in League Two, Mike gets to compete against 14 owners in his league. I get to compete against 14 owners in my league. I have no way of directly competing against Mike. We're in different leagues. He can pick up different players. He drafted different players. He may have drafted a lot of the same players. But in the overall, we're still, all 300 of us, are competing against uh, each other. So it creates an interesting dynamic. What it also allows to do from a marketing perspective from the NFBC is you're able to create hundred thousand dollar prizes hundred and fifty thousand dollar big headline prizes as a which you can do if you want to charge twenty thousand dollars for entry in 15 team leagues but that's not accessible for most people it's a lot of money still to enter the nfbc uh main event it's a lot of money but it allows you to have that dream that mike's chasing uh right now that i was lucky to get uh, a few years ago of that big payday um and that's you know that for those of us who are competitive, for those of us who 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 think about these things, uh, that big headline um, makes it interesting for lots of reasons. Yeah, you summed it up perfectly there, a lot better than I could. This is my first year playing in contests with overalls. I'm only in two uh, TGFBI, and then I'm in the Earth League, so nothing as earth shattering as the main event. But you know, I'm still kind of just dipping my toes into the NFBC and just seeing how that works and. It can be kind of confusing if you're not used to it. You can be you know, ranked ahead of somebody in your own league and then behind them in the overall. Uh, you guys so, were- so last, last year, the team that won the overall competition finished second in their own league. Yeah. The team that fin- they finished second to did very, very well in the overall. That's just a weird, random coincidence. But one year I was in the league uh, with the overall winner, they won the league on the last day, uh, like our individual league, the last day of the season. I finished second literally by a point. I finished 11th overall, so really close. But if I had just had a different last weekend of the season, I could easily have finished first in the league. And so it's it, there's a correlation with points in your league and the overall, 
but it's not a direct correlation. No, it's, it's very cool. Um, Mike, you've done very well this season so far. Uh, and we're going to get into the the whole overall thing uh, in a minute. I just wanted to kind of give a brief outline because I know a lot of people maybe aren't familiar with the NFBC. Maybe they are, but they don't really understand it overall. But Rob, I really appreciate uh, just the, you know, the outlook you put out on it there. Um, let's start with the process, though. I do want to talk a little bit before we get into the nitty gritty about your process. And let's start with you, Mike. Your off-season process looks like what exactly when prepping for the fantasy season? Well, looking back at it, it looks wildly incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, every year it's it, because of so much inconsistency ever since 2020. Not even just with the baseball. We're talking multiple. Uh, we're talking a strike. We're talking just multiple different off-seasons. I feel like every year players have just – it's been hard to really get a ga- gauge the idea of what players are going to do, what skill sets they truly have. How much of it was like it's just it's like how much of it like it was a bad start to one year and then it carried over but or a bad finish whatever so but realistically the process itself kind of just starts at like i really try to because projections i just actually started incorporating projections this year and we'll talk about that because there's a big discussion point recently on twitter about uh projections but um this i really do try to start at like a, just a simple team by team outlook let me look at every single team every single 40-man roster try to get an idea of what skill sets each player offers who's likely to be on this team all year who could be traded who might have like first half appeal who might have like who might have second half appeal this year where i was wrong was i was so focused on the 40 man because i do this so i start getting in my draft champions leagues which for those who don't realize or know those are drafting holds essentially so you draft 50 rounds and that's your team for the year i put a heavy emphasis on depth and 40 man without realizing that this year was gonna be the year where teams said screw the 40 man and they just reach for their top prospects every week it feels like since week one so that's a whole you know i'm sure everyone's gonna adapt to that next year but that's one of those things where it's like you start getting an idea of who's on what team what team what team needs they have so maybe like free agents you try to you try to figure out who might go after these guys now there's more teams competing more than ever and then every so often you get the random cubs getting a bellinger which <laughs> isn't such a surprise but kind of is a surprise you know like you, you're kind of putting bellinger on more of a, comp- a competing team and maybe the Cubs saw themselves as competitors, but weren't. So it really does start as simple as let's figure out who's where. Let's get an idea of like what we could see the market trends. How they, let's let's recap how players finished first half or second half, and really just I try to look at every single player individually that I can as many as I can. I look at probably easily up to four or five hundred players. Try to get like a small little set of notes on them, and really just try to go from there. And then once projections get released, I kind of incorporate those and realize, okay, so maybe why why am I so off? compared to projections go look at the projection go back and look at the player and see like did i miss something did i agree so it really is just i'm all over the place but at the end of the day it comes together for draft day and in, in, in theory it does anyway and uh yeah so it really does it just starts early and it kind of just it's really hard to say i have a set set uh process right now because i am so new especially the fab leagues i i had a set process for draft champions form, formats i really i avoided fab leagues the last couple of years and this year i put all my hard work to the test because of the content i do it's so granular in terms of certain things. I I kind of attacked it in that aspect of like, all right, well, I'm going to draft pitching heavy. I'm going to kind of lean on my uh, playing time knowledge and all and skill set knowledge and be more into draft uh, streaming hitters. And so far, so good. Obviously, we're about what two thirds of the way through, and I'm sitting top twenty in the overall. I dropped since you know you announced this on Twitter. But, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm sorry. I'm, no, it's, it's uh, I was we you know we talked about it briefly, and we'll probably get to it again. But um, I'm sitting about fifteenth overall, which is still. I'm still within the running. I'm, I'm talking like five, 600 points from the lead. So it's like a very tight, like one, one good day can easily vault me right back into the top 10. So we're still in that, we're still in that type of territory. But at the end of the day, it's, um, it really does. I keep reverting back where it starts, but it's like, I hate to make it sound like it's so simple where it starts because it just, 
you just kind of start, you know, you start doing your little recaps of what happened and then you start getting news and you start monitoring the, what the teams are doing in terms of uh, changes and the signings and then rule five picks. And it, it really does just, you kind of go along as the, as the off season allows you, you kind of just add that information to your bank and you're just banking it all. And I start early. I know one of the things you probably are going to, uh, I start probably as early as like November last year. And I think I'm going to get right back into it again, early November this year. And just, but I'm not going to draft as early because my early drafts were dead were dead by like April. Like <laughs> I have a team that's like probably like one of the worst teams in the overall in the draft champions format, for instance. Like it's just, I, I drafted story. I drafted uh, Hoskins. I drafted Liam. Uh, I, I drafted Hendricks. I think all in the same roster, by the way. So it's like stuff like that. Like that's a big risk reward. Cause then obviously you get your best values in, in theory, if you draft the right guys early on, because a lot of people aren't, you know, so in tune with what could happen or projecting well in terms of like certain situations. So, yeah, long winded way of saying I don't really know. I, I honestly, it's just a work in progress. It's really just, but it just starts really early on and I kind of tweak it as, as things come along. How does your process differ from that robber? Is it fairly similar? Uh, no, it differs a little bit. I, I usually pick up a magazine on the flight to Vegas. I start flipping <laughs> through the magazine. I, I have a system where if, if there's something interesting, I'll flip the page over. So I remember to go back now. That's, I wish it was like that. Um, it used to be, I, right? It, there was a time. I'm, I'm old enough. No, it was never quite that. There were guys. There were, I'm I, not I saying certainly you. Have been at, I certainly <laughs> have been at drafts in the NFBC where not recently. But there was a time where people would show up with magazines and just start flipping around looking for names yeah. uh, there. Those were those were called the good old days. Um, my process. So there are certain things I have to do right at the end of the season, like literally the day after the season ends when I'm burned out and tired. So I have to grab all the data because it gets wiped to some extent. There's historic data for the NFBC, but I need all the just for some of the stuff I do. I need the old standings. I need like the draft. Like I want to be able to do a postmortem on my drafts. It's painful at times. It's like listening to yourself on a podcast. It's awful, but you have to force yourself to do that or you're not going to get better. Uh, I, I, I'm a projection guy and I'll get into that. So I need to grab all the stuff off fan graphs because I don't know when that's going to disappear. Usually it's there through the playoffs, but like they could wake up tomorrow and just decide to change the site. So there's stuff I want um, that right now during the season I can access. I don't need it on an Excel document or save to my computer, but I just need it. So I, I do that. And then I do not like I'll, we, we're talking about this. I'll go to first pitch Arizona. Like I still like baseball. I'll watch playoff baseball, but I do have to take um, a good six, six weeks, two months off, like just chill and, like I'm burnt out at the end of the baseball season. I love baseball. I love it, but it is a grind. Like it is a grind and I need just a break. And then I, I it happens very naturally for me. Some point well before Christmas, somewhere around US Thanksgiving, um, my juices start going again and I start wanting to get into it. And I'll think of a player and I'll be like, huh, I wonder how that player actually did lot, you know, and I'll just, it'll just start for me. And I'm a weirdo. Like I'm a, an exception in the NFBC where I don't do my first draft every year is sitting at a table in Las Vegas in March. So I don't do any drafts. I have in the past done like one DC just to test things and to see if I really believe things. And I found it didn't add anything and it was just annoying to me. So I don't do drafts, but I spent hundreds and hundreds of hours during the winter getting ready. 
Um, I am very projection driven. So it starts with projections to me. But by the time I get to draft time, um, I've done my own projections for everybody. It may, it may be me simply doing an aggregation of a couple of projections and saying, yeah, that looks right. Um, but I have gone through every single player and um, tweaked it. But at the end of the day, I need a projection for every single player. I force myself to have a projection for every single player. And I we don't need to get into this on, on this podcast. I'm a, an SGP guy, so it needs to go through a valuation model for me. And so I have all of that going into the draft. And that's obviously updating every single day through spring training, like leading up to drafts as playing time changes. The biggest thing will single changes rules and playing uh, time. So I'm, I'm constantly looking at Mike's work and looking at what's going on in the world and tweaking it. Uh, like literally the morning of drafts, I'm still tweaking it because the world changes. So you need to have the best information and you know, anyways. Um, so that's really important to me. And then with all that, it's the strategy side. So I'm a big believer of going into drafts um, with a strategy for the draft. How do I want to attack the draft? Because um, the alternative is, uh, and I've certainly been at a point where I believe this was it. I have my projections. Let's see what the table gives me. I'll take what the table gives me. If they give me, if they give me this guy, I'll take this guy. If they give me this guy, I'll take this guy. I now think that sometimes you have to be flexible, but I really like, especially knowing where do I want to get my starting pitching from? Where do I want to get my closers from? Where do I want to get my speed from? It's not going to work out exactly how I think it's going to work out, but I want to have that strategy for each of the drafts that I'm doing. And finally, um, I usually have going into draft season, two or three or four guys who they're just they're not guys going in the first 10 rounds or even the first 15 rounds but they're i want these guys on all my teams and i'm going to be aggressive so those guys um i pay a lot of attention to adp in the weeks leading up to the drafts that i do but those guys i'm obsessive with those guys i'm like did somebody just set a new min on um for example this year it was jose siri was one of my guys so i was looking every single day uh, every morning when the ADP was updating, did somebody jump Jose Siri higher than his previous min? Because if that happened, I needed to know, like, I was going to be the guy who was going to be aggressive. If there's another asshole out there, am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. What you can say whatever you like. Dave McDonald, there's another asshole Joe who's going to be aggressive about Jose Siri. Same thing with J.D. Martinez. Going to be setting mins close to mints on, on JD Martinez every everywhere. So I needed to be obsessive with that. So there's a few guys who I'm like monitoring uh, that. And then it just comes together. But that's that's kind of a, a high level long way of saying what how I approach things. How do you, guys, do you oh, sorry I had a quick question. I wanted to build off that okay. one, Rob. Uh sure. how how do you figure out which players of those like are for you is it do you be, do you look at the s because i just like i said i introduced sgp into my system this year and i realized that the sgp would tell me like hey you're really wrong in your valuation of this guy and i respected it i didn't I, i'm not i'm not i'm not as into uh i can't say into it but i don't rely on them as heavy as others i do factor them into my process so and i really and that's what helped me get into guys like uh, josh Naylor, which i like nailer but i realized i wasn't high enough on him so i bumped him up my boards and he was always a guy and that's why i ended up with him on my main and other dcs where he was just a value based on sgp compared to adp and that's right so i was wondering like do you kind of rely rely on your process to kind of hey these names pop and i'm gonna make sure i get these names because 
the market is just undervaluing them based on the systems I have in place and and all the other stuff you put into it. So, so it's a great question, Mike. Uh, for guys like a Jose Siri or a Janie Moot Martinez, it's part quant, so it's part SGP, uh, but it's not 100% uh, SGP because certainly the projections didn't love JD Martinez uh, going into this uh, season. For uh, for example, they were heavily weighing uh, last season. So for those guys, especially the ones who are going like back half of drafts or middle uh, of drafts, there's also qualitative data. So with Jose Siri, there was one article um, at MLB.com uh where tampa said uh that cash had gone to siri and said you're my everyday center fielder we loved what you do what you bring with the glove uh kevin kiermeyer is not here anymore you're the man every single day and so with jose siri all of the projections and the projections actually are going to turn out to be way more right than i was because in part because of the injury because ultimately you can't believe anything tampa says uh <laughs> so i'm happy with i still love jose siri but but they were actually right but jose siri was a guy who he was my safety valve on speed. Hasn't quite turned out uh, like that. And I thought he was, I thought the projections were dramatically underestimating the playing time. I had him as like a 500 plate appearance guy as opposed to a 400 plate appearance guy who he will end up getting to 500 plate appearances if he stays healthy. So there were qualitative things yeah. that it's like, I just think the risk reward here is pretty good with JD Martinez. And I, I happen to be pointing out two examples that have worked out pretty well. Uh, I won't talk about any of the ones that turned out. <laughs> Naturally. Well. Uh, I understand. <laughs> uh, with JD Martinez, it was at his cost. And this is one of the things I do with almost every single player. If I looked what he did last year, so 2022, in a really bad season, a disappointing season, he breaks even at his ADP uh, this year. So I, I always translate uh, ADP into, uh, into roto dollars and, mm -hmm. and stats into roto dollars just to, to have that kind of uh, consistent analytical framework. And I thought um, if that's sort of his floor, and I'll put an asterisk on that, and the ceiling is he returns to something like the year before that or the year before that in terms of the per, per plate appearance production, that's a really high ceiling with a low floor. So it's not that the SGP shot out for me and I'm like, my God, I'm, I'm making – it's not the Phil Dussault like – he, I have him as an eighth round pick. He's going in round 15. I have to take him in round 14. It wasn't quite that. It was, I thought he had gave me a floor with a really nice ceiling, fully acknowledging that at his age, there's whether it's a 10 or a 20% chance that he just fell off a cliff this year was a real risk. And I figured yeah. if that's what happens as a util only, I can manage that in fab. So that if yeah. like it's a 20%, he does this year Nelson Cruz. It's just, and he's just done. Um, let's say 40%, he returns value. He just repeats what he had done the previous year. And 30, 40%, which is turned out very much to be true, he's the same guy. His skills really hadn't eroded. You can buy into narrative street of his old batting coaches there and the Dodgers know what they're mm -hmm. doing, blah, 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 blah. So you could convince yourself all of those things but it was really just a floor ceiling uh play with a nice out so kind of in poker thought i thought it was just a nice bet to make if and, that makes sense I, yeah i found myself doing something similar with my late round picks I, I looked i went back and looked at my uh, during the break you know i looked back at my main event draft and i was just like i missed on those final 10 rounds more than i would have liked to on the hitters but then i, I realized i forgot who i hit oh lord is Gurriel. i literally went after him because i'm like he has it every day because this goes back to spring training where yeah. they were showing their 
uh, they were showing their uh, intent when they put him top three to top five in that lineup. Like, All right, cool. He's going to probably play every day. He's going to bat top five. I need, I wanted somebody with a batting average floor and some RBI upside because that kind of fit my team at that point in the draft where I'm like, all right, I kind of, you know, that's kind of the holes I see according to the projections, everything else I'm plugging in as I'm drafting. And of course he surprised with the first half he had all that, et cetera. But it's one of those things where it was kind of the same idea where it's like, we know Gurriel played through a wrist injury. We know there's a little bit more power potential there than we might expect. And we know the floor is probably a solid batting average. He has since fallen off. Obviously he's he's going through a little bit of a rough patch, but at the end of the day, Gurriel ended up being one of those guys for me, like in that same idea of like, I feel like I'm going to get, at least my money's worth. If not, he is a drop and I can fill in outfield. I'm finding to be one of the easier spots to, to stream off of this year. There's just, that's just the position with the most players in general, you know? So there's that, yeah. but um, yeah, between outfield and util, it's like, I've just, I've been turning and burning those spots anyway. So he's almost, he's a guy that's like, I'm having a hard time starting him right now, but it's like, how do you just not start him? Cause if he just gets going again, any moment, the way he's been playing, it's already been, you're, you're playing with house money at this point, but yeah, it's kind of, so I understand, like, I really resonate with what you said about JD because it just kind of makes sense that, there are players that just sometimes are boring, but you know what you're getting and you know there's a higher potential for nothing. At the very least, you're getting what you're paying for, knowing that there's a ceiling for more and that the floor is some like where you're getting them, dropping them or cutting them isn't really a big deal. So it's kind of like a really a low risk, high reward type of investment. And I, don't, and I feel like, I don't know, maybe we're just not, they're not fun names. I'm trying to think of like, uh, that, you know how it is. Like they're not the that new flashy new toy. These guys are old, boring vets that, are solid contributors this year and just i feel like we as a fantasy community i think we're getting better at least i'm hearing more people mention it on podcasts about you know old and boring not being so bad but we still need to i think it's still something that we struggle with as a whole trying to like because we just want to we want to be right about the next big thing we don't want to we don't want to be right about the next boring thing that worked out and was so solid and steady in production it's like it's not you'd get laughed at in february march if you filed a top 10 breakout picks <laughs> if you named yeah. JD Martinez, if you yeah. named Lourdes Goriel, because it's like, how can you say JD Martinez is a breakout pick? How can you say like he's an upside yeah. uh, play? People would laugh, like Zach would mock you. You'd, you'd be mocked by everybody. And the reality is that often is where the upside play is, is the bounce back guy. There's the proven, downside. The proven uh, commodity, but the, but the downside where you're getting them, especially in like these two specific examples, we are nitpicking here. Like, as you mentioned, we are talking about the good ones here, but yeah. uh, those two examples for sure are a perfect example. Yeah. It's just, uh, I mean, look at the sense. guy that switched places with JD essentially going to Boston Justin there. Turner. Justin he's Turner. Awesome. He's oh yeah. Wasn't awesome he like a, top, he's like a top five, uh, whatever position he's at these days. Third baseman was he he's, started? He's now a second baseman. If you're playing your Yahoo leagues, Mike, uh, but yes, oh. uh, he's, He's been uh, he's been awesome, Justin Turner this year, fantasy wise and real baseball wise for them. He stayed he stayed healthy, and who saw that coming? He never stays healthy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's got 370 at bats already, 16 homers, batting 286. Those are like career Not highs. <laughs> are you like Rain Man, Joe? You just you've memorized everybody's uh, stats off off the top of your head. You can just cite them uh, without looking. Sure. Let's say that. Let's say I don't have a tab open. Um, <laughs> I, I do want to ask you guys, because you both mentioned projections and you both mentioned that you kind of put together your own. Now, do you have enough faith in your own projections that you'll rely on them more so than you would the ATCs and the bats of the world? Or is it kind of a mix? Or Rob, you said you kind of incorporate them and maybe do like an average of a few of them. How do other people's projections play into that process for you guys? I can just honestly, for yeah, me, it's not start. well because Rob, you're. I know you're going to go on a longer one here because this, <laughs> well, this, this is your baby. This is your thing. I'm new to the projection game. I so I take uh, an aggregate. I really do. I take an aggregate of the more like pretty much like what probably ninety percent 
if not mo more than that, do. We take an aggregate and we kind of just we plug it into our SGP and we get our numbers and all that. The different what I do differently is I actually so I, I came up with a little bit of a way. I did the numbers and came up with a per plate appearance um, number per team per lineup spot from last season. And I try to think about which teams are likely to return that. And I kind of I try to base I, I try to use those numbers and then plug in players that, where I think they're going to hit that lineup. And, and like how many games they're going to play. And I'm try, I try to get a more, a truer number. And you'd be surprised a lot of the team, a lot of the players that I, I plugged into this and did that ended up giving me a very similar uh, player appearance number that some of the projections had. So it's like, all right, cool. Those guys on, but then there's guys like, like um, trying to think uh, Royals first baseman. He's, I know he's, he's out for the year. I can't think of his name. Vinny. Vinny yeah. P. Vinny P. Vinny P was like projected for like 500 play early on in the offseason. I remember he was like, like a hundred play appearances lower than he probably should have been projected for. He was easily a 600 play appearance guy. Just because what else was who else was going to play right? So the injury obviously derailed that. But he was another guy. But even after I plugged in the projections with the more play appearances, he still wasn't popping up. Like I like so I, I realized I was that's another guy. That's one of those guys where I was like I was over projecting before I had projection systems. That's why I that's why I realized I need to put more value in projection systems because I had more confidence in a player that I probably shouldn't have early on before the projections came out. And even with adding close to like 50 or 100 play appearances, whatever it was, he was a guy that still didn't move up. Same with Jose Abreu, didn't really, didn't really pop up. So it's like I was liking the narrative of Jose Abreu more than I probably should have liked the actual what was projected. So it's like I think projections work a lot better for hitters than pitchers too. We could talk about that and a whole other thing. But um, my big thing is because I really do trust myself and my process in terms of identifying playing time, identifying lineup spots. I like to try to get my own plate appearance number for most players, especially like the ones that probably are going to be drafted in the top three to 500, try to get like a really solid number for them. And I'll take the aggregate I already ran and then just plug my own plate appearance number into it. Because when you look at, I believe it's, what is it? Just Jason Martinez does the plate appearance numbers, I believe, over the fan graph. So all it is is another guy. It's not really a system doing it. So if I have a process I feel is strong about, I'm going to plug my own. I'm going to take the numbers they're giving me because those numbers are way better than anything I'm going to actually come up with. But I'm plugging in my own plate appearance number for hitters and sometimes for pitchers i'll play with it because obviously like this year i think Degrom had like 170 or something wrote on early on had like 170 as well i was like no you gotta jump those out like 120 130 think worst case scenario and so i'll do it for but i rarely touch pitchers innings it's more so i like like justin Steele's a guy i really like this year i, I don't think projections were accounting for those changes because it's such a small sample how can you so it's one of those things where i'm going to take the projections look at them value them but also think well i think there's something there that they haven't picked up on yet and that's how i attack the pitching side when it comes to the pitchers later in drafts so but um at the end of the day yeah i keep it really simple with projections now but i do my big thing is just messing with and having a system for the play appearances and playing time projection i plug in and just take their numbers and kind of go from there yeah projections uh they're we they haven't figured out yet how to program an algorithm to project playing time more yeah. accurately than than humans can the danger of just doing it all yourself, and, and this is not a, a, an anti-Mike comment at all, uh, it's an anti-human being comment, is I can take almost any player's uh, projection, whether it's steamer, the bat, an average of steamer in the bat, ETC, doesn't matter. And if I want that player to look awesome, I can jack up their plate appearances and their, plate, uh, pl uh, their playing time or their innings pitch. And I can make almost any player jump 10 rounds, right? <laughs> if I'm going to give a guy 700 plate appearances, I guarantee you he's going to be a value at his cost. So if I, and, and here's how I tell myself the story. I think Danny Mandic is awesome. 
Danny Mandic has to be played every single day, and they'd be crazy not to bat, bat him for second or third. So if I think Danny Mandic is going to pit in the top three of the, the order and play 155, 160 games, suddenly he's a 700-plate appearance player. Now, Danny Mandic, even if you give him 700-plate appearances, still sucks. It doesn't actually <laughs> tr- uh, jump him that much. But most players... If you go through that process, I love this guy. I want this guy. So I'm going to give him all the plate appearances or he's going to, he's awesome. So he's going to make 32 starts, pitch seven innings a start. So let's give him 220 innings. Now, most people are smart enough in today's baseball that they wouldn't do that. It's much harder because people just know like that's not, you can't project the last year Sandy Alcantara store, uh, season. Like you, you just, it may happen, but you can't project it. Whereas on the hitting side, you can tell yourself stories. So I think if you're going to do the playing time yourself, which you should do, like it's a, it's laborious as Mike knows, it's a lot <laughs> of time. It's a lot of work, but you have to control, you, you have to at least be very aware of the confirmation bias and like mm-hmm. the human nature of like, at the end of the day, nobody gives a shit what's on your spreadsheet. Like you, yeah. you don't win anything based on winning Excel or winning the draft, like, uh, I got a value here thing. So you're only tricking yourself if you're playing that game. So be very careful not to play that game. It's a long way of saying, and err on the side of conservatism. Like, uh, yeah, like I'll, I'll, I'll knock like, 10% off. Like, honestly, if I if I think a guy's going to bat top three, I'll take the third spot. Like, I won't take first or second. You know, I'll take the – I always try to take the lowest end number. Or if I think – I'm like, this is a bit much. Let me take – let me knock 10% off just to play it safe so I give myself a little lower floor. I don't – I'm never the guy that's – I'm actually the opposite. I'm, I'm afraid to overdo it. I'd rather be short – rather come up short than be over a little bit. And if a guy – if my playing time or play parents projection comes out 20 over the one that's already in place, I won't even change it because at that point, I don't see the value in messing with the projection being – because to me, at 20 play appearances – like you said, it's really up. It could be one day he's one he's out of line for he's day to day for a line a couple of days. Now you know, let's play appearances. They're there. It's made up right there. It's already kind of you know you're doing your best you can to kind of factor in injuries and playing time. And I you know I do my due diligence like you said because it goes beyond just figuring out the numbers. You have to figure out well what's the injury risk, how many games do they miss on average, are these like fluke injuries, are these like habitual injuries, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes into it too. But yeah, I'm I'm like I I agree with that. Like the, the confirmation bias is a hell of a drug. We know that, but uh, the goal is to try to stay unbiased as much as possible, which I feel, I feel, I feel very strongly. I do. I don't, I don't look for reasons to vault a guy up. I, I try to find reasons to put them down. Actually. I really do. do no th- matter do what. Th- do you think because you're producing content of basically on this very topic, like this is, this, this is, is your bag, thing, yeah. baby. Um, that that forces you to keep honest. And that's not a shot at your character, obviously, but I, by that, I mean, you're having to explain, like, I think so-and-so is going to bat second most of the time in the lineup. Or against lefties, they're going to bat second. Against righties, I think they're going to bat seventh or, or eighth. So because you've put that out there and you're putting it out there every mm-hmm. single day and you're kind of doing that analysis, if in your own spreadsheet you then said, and therefore he's going to get 690 plate appearances – and, but it, like that makes no sense. Like yeah. you're forcing yourself into a process of honesty and like objectivity because people will otherwise say like, Mike, what the hell are you talking about here? Like that, there's no, your, your argument is like, you just, you're wish casting this. This isn't real. Yeah. You think yeah, that no. helps in terms of that? 
I think it helps. I think it helps me realize, like, if if I come up with a number, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. And I think it's more so. And I, like, I find myself. I don't like. I said, I really don't wish cast because I don't. I go, I honestly go into the off season with a clear slate. Like, I look into every player with a. I I really I try to go into every single player and just look at their profile. What do they do? What skills do they have? What do they do? And do I see deterioration anywhere? I don't go into thinking like, oh, Trey Turner's a stud, and I don't look into him. I have to go see are there warts on on his. Uh, in his profile can i find anything wrong because i i am i am such a i am such a glass half empty by nature guy when it comes to this game i'm looking for like i mean like, nobody's perfect so there's gotta be something wrong with everybody and that's what so i think going into that with that mindset honestly helps me because now i'm looking for reasons to doubt somebody i'm looking for reasons i'm looking for ways to just find that flaw so i can factor it in because i don't want to just assume it's all good and let's draft trey turner top two again you know what i mean like i i i think i i might have i might have obviously missed something in trey turner's uh, i know rob DiPietro was mentioning uh like some of the some of the red flags and i think i might have overlooked them and that was that's something i've learned and i'm like okay let me not make that mistake again but um he's a he's a guy i probably i probably didn't even touch the play appearance uh, thing for him i don't think i did just because he set and forget type of guy you're drafting him. he's a top three here in that lineup whatever but yeah i'm very i keep the bias aside there's no but I, I feel very strongly i can say that with pretty good sense of confidence that i have zero bias in my playing time projections i look at it very objectively i look at team i look at team because i'm like you said i'm so plugged in team trends um how i go look at i'll go look at the team itself like hey what's the what was the average platoon player getting play, full-time platoon player like for the giants like what was yaz doing Blake Sable, and let's go get their play appearances per per game or per like whatever while healthy, whatever it is. And I look at that, I'm like, all right, cool. So this is what you should expect a platoon hitter on this team to probably get. And and then I'll kind of take that number sometimes, even just if I think they're in a strict platoon. So that, that's where I'll get my little bit of of a difference. That's where my, my my big differences come from looking at that and trying to really trying to hone in on what these teams are going to do, how they're going to treat their players, how I think they're going to treat this certain player and all that and um so yeah it's like i said it's a really really i'm pretty and i, I think it goes back to because i do put it out there and i do create content and i do hope people I, i'm trying to help people find the answers because obviously it's, it's an imperfect science but i want to try to be as correct as possible so i'm really i'm really like i'm really te- I, I really get into the nitty-gritty of every little thing i can think of while also trying to be very objective in my process and leave my bias at the door because bias doesn't win you championships you want you care i care about winning i don't care about being right like i mean i care about i shouldn't say that because you obviously have to be right to win but you get my point like, i want to win i don't care about trying to prove like oh i thought this about player i was right about this player I, I if i'm wrong about the player that's fine but i want to like let me learn from that and let me be right next time i just i want to win that's all i care about I, is winning I, I, while making everybody better fantasy players right Mike, sure if, you, if you, that's fine correctly if, uh, if they want to so, listen I, so, I put the i put the information out there I try to teach people how to do what I do. How to fish. I, exactly. I'm trying to teach someone how to fish. Not. I'm not trying to give feed them dinner every night. Like they should be. I want. I want you to be a better player based. And I'm trying to give you information that can help you identify or maybe learn how to break down a player better or just how I maybe how my process can maybe help you because I'm. Um, we can talk about how like this is my first year in the main event. And I'm finding success and part of it's luck, obviously, because you don't just you know, you know winning a main event or you know luck factors, health uh, injuries, all that. But also it was the fact that. Um, I kind of just listen to people like I listen to people like you on your podcast. Like Rob has a bunch of big time players, FTN. You guys have a, as much as we talk crap about Zach, Zach's had some great players on his pod. You listen to these podcasts. I sit there, I'll sit there and just listen and be like, I don't like what he did there. I love what he did there. And I'm just like creating content throughout the years. 
I kind of just took a bunch of stuff I liked, but and left a bunch of stuff I didn't like and created my own process. And I'm realizing that I have a lot to learn still, but I feel like now I'm at a point where I can kind of be like, hey, this is what I learned. And hey, look, this worked for me. Let's see, I'm gonna put it out there for you. And if you want to try using it, great. If not, you can blame me all you want, but it worked for me. Like, like, uh, like, like Phil's system. Phil talks about all the time, right? With his system. Like along, can... along those lines, before we leave the process stuff, Joe and can come to the actual uh talk yeah. of the podcast. Um, I also like doing the exact opposite of all of this uh in in the off season, which is I take every single player and project them as if they're going to get six. So in addition to, I actually think this guy is going to get 372 plate appearances. I also project every single player as if they get 600 plate appearances. And what it does for me by doing that is I want to see guys who, if they happen to luck into a full-time job, and to me, that's 600 plate appearance. It's very hard unless you are a very good player defensively or offensively with a full-time job and stay fully healthy, get more, more than 600 plate appearances. But if, I want to know which guys, if they happen to get 600 plate appearances, have the potential based on the projection. So haven't changed their swing, haven't changed skills, haven't changed anything. They've just changed playing times, are suddenly really good players. And every year, a bunch of the Reds hitters who are having really nice seasons were like that this year, where you, it was so murky and so unclear what the platoon situation was going to be, how this was all going to play out some of them were wrong like Myers was one of the guys who it's like holy cow if he gets 600 plate appearances this could be awesome but a lot of the guys who are having really nice seasons were like that as well and once I have that and have like a list of let's say 20 25 guys who it's like boy if this all works out this could be interesting then I start looking for reasons why they may or may not ever get 600 plate appearances so if the guy is he clearly cannot hit lefties and everybody knows he can't hit lefties. And his manager platoons, he's a player on San Francisco or Tampa and cannot hit lefties. Then that's the end of the conversation. Like, yeah. like maybe everything is going to change uh, today, but I'm not making a bet that that's suddenly going to change. So got, you, you just got, you know, like it's it's uh, Jacques Peterson every year. If he got 600 plate, holy cow, look at look at what this could be. <laughs> but it's like, nah, but, but I know who he is. So I'm not making a bet that suddenly the world is upside down you can decide to draft him or not draft him, but he is what he is. But there's always, by the end of that process, you have a really interesting list of five to 10 guys who, again, those are breakout players. You don't want to draft all 10 of them out of like <laughs> your 17 hitters. That would be bad. But you start having guys that then in spring training, you can start looking, are they playing more often than we thought? Like, is is there the path becoming clear? Blah, 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 blah. So I think doing the exact opposite of doing dumb plate appearances, not as your final projection, but as like a testing projection is a really interesting way to identify potential pop-up guys as well. Guys, it's really, really interesting <laughs> hearing the insights into your process. Uh, it's it's going to help me. Probably I'm going to listen back to this episode uh, next March, next February kind of time. Uh, and I do want to get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast, but there's actually a little trade here. I don't know if you guys saw this. Have you yeah. guys? Uh, you guys Ahmed have Rosario to, to the Dodgers. Ahmed Rosario to the Dodgers for Noah Syndergaard. I, I okay. <laughs> That's a weird one. That is a really weird one. I just popped across my screen. I thought I'd mention it. Any thoughts just off the top of your head there, Mike? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I I guess it's great for it's great for rosario from a real life standpoint but i don't think rosario is going to hit second anymore for this team you know what I, mean? I think he's now a back end of that lineup type of guy so he's going to lose some plate appearances i guess thor 
gains a little bit because at least now there's a path to innings, but nobody's going to want to roster that. So um, I think it's a lose-lose from a fantasy aspect. I guess technically a gain for Syndergaard, but it's more of a lose-lose overall, especially because most people are probably rostering Rosario, and I don't see uh, Rosario. I think he's going to get more regular days off, and he's probably going to hit the bottom half to bottom third of that lineup, you'd think. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I think it's a it's a nice real life pickup for the Dodgers. Yeah, like Ahmed Rosario makes the Dodgers better. Uh, the Dodgers like having depth. That like Dodger ball is having too many bats, and us its fantasy owners saying, "How are they going to get them all playing time?" And the Dodgers saying, "We don't really care about you." <laughs> so I think Ahmed Rosario um, is a nice pickup for them in real baseball uh, terms. It doesn't help his fantasy uh, particularly unless they sprinkle some some magic on him and and you know change him um like cleveland's already really bad at holding base runners to the extent noah Syndergaard uh pitches (laughs) for cleveland that could be spectacular um i don't know why cleveland would have i mean cleveland's pretty good at at fixing pitchers but so is the dodgers so i'm not sure what they see in Syndergaard, I would think it's like in the bullpen, probably. I can't imagine. They already have too many starting pitchers, even with the Bieber injury. So, um, so yeah, it's like I, 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 also, I don't know if, if there was money involved. Like, did the Dodgers send money to take on the Cinder? There's something weird about the Syndergaard being the return. I would have expected it to be like a, an interesting double-A pro, uh, prospect or an A-bit prospect for Rosario, honestly. I, I could have seen even even no I would say Michael Bush but that doesn't make sense because it's middle infield from your own field but I'm just thinking of like a name like the Dodgers would cast off or something. it just doesn't make sense because this team and it's funny because the the Guardians need offense don't they yes, like, there's no doubt <laughs> and I know Rosario hasn't been what they've expected what, what fantasy managers have expected but this is still a downgrade because now what Gabriel Arias maybe gains playing time or uh, Tyler Freeman. Or they bring up one of their minor league prospects finally that they've been sitting on, I guess. But I don't know. I think Kike Hernandez is going to have trouble getting into the Dodger lineup though now because I've heard people speculating he was going to play some short for them. He'll be a platoon bat. He'll play. He'll he'll, he'll 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 play. He'll play half the time. Chris Taylor. So? Chris Taylor was already kind of more so a platoon bat. This only hurts him even more for those who are hoping for some added plate appearances. Because I know he's more of a lefty kill, lefty masher, and that's how they utilize him. With some, they, like he'll, he would he's still he's still going to spell guys against righties. But I think this just really hinders his playing time as well. And the Dodgers don't care. They're no, no. I'm just I'm just putting it out there because that's yeah, yeah. kind of the fa- the fantasy fallout. You know, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, no, Chris Taylor, sure. that's what we're here to talk about. That's why I'm like, I think oh, Chris Taylor's only playing. I don't know if he's starting tonight, but I know he's only started against one of the last three righties entering tonight. So I don't know if they have a righty tonight or anything like that. So Chris Taylor's playing time was already iffy. Now it's probably going to take a bigger hit. Or Chris maybe Chris Taylor's going to get dealt. Maybe like they have. Do they really? How many? You t- I guess they, it's the Dodgers. You're right. They don't. I'm just trying to think how many Kike Hernandez slash like Chris Taylor's do they need? I don't. Muncie, like yeah it's a long list yeah, yeah they, they have plenty they don't need more. Uh, whatever i whatever. think you're gonna see a lot of teams the next between now and the deadline being both buyers and sellers so you'll, yeah. you'll be like cleveland today will dump rosario and let's say they wave noah Syndergaard, and then tomorrow they'll be uh like oh so they're all in how does like how do these things rectify themselves i think you're gonna see a lot of sucking and blowing like buying and selling at the same time uh by teams Definitely cool. I just want to get your take on that because it just popped across the screen. But I've been teasing the people long enough. Let's talk about (laughs) 
how you compete in your leagues versus an overall. Rob, you got more experience in this than I think Mike and I do for sure. What differs? Let's even just talk about draft day when you know you're competing in a main event versus, you know, just an individual league. I suppose it means you got to be more balanced and not try and sacrifice any categories right off the bat and just try and, you know, hope for you know the most balanced team. But what exactly differs in your mind uh, when you're thinking about an overall versus a league on draft day? Yeah. And I mean, I, I do. So I do five drafts in the NFBC uh, these days uh, every year. I do the platinum and diamond, which are standalone high stakes money. And by high stakes, they're what the big entry uh, leagues. And then I do uh, three that have the overall attached to them. So I do a balance of them both uh, right now. And in the standalones, quite literally, you're just trying to beat 14 guys uh, in your league. Um, In those leagues, as you say, you can be weak in a category. You can punch a category (coughs) if you choose to uh, and still win them. Um, It is very, very, very hard. Some people think it's impossible. I don't know that it's impossible. It's very hard to win the overall and punt a category or be very weak in a category. You can squint and try to make the math work out. And in theory, if you get like 95, 96% in every other category, but good luck doing that. Like if you can make it work amazing, it would be very efficient in some ways if you just don't have to work about worry about saves all year, uh, but it's hard. Uh, so you have to be competitive in all 10 categories. You obviously don't need to be competitive in all 10 categories on draft day. It would be awesome if you left your draft and you have the perfect team balanced and like top, you know, 80th, 90th percentile in all categories. Certainly the year I won, I was not that at all. Uh, I thought I was when I left the draft table, um, but I, as it turns out, only had one closer. Uh, I thought I had two closers. One of them um, got hurt uh, very, very quickly. And I was um, foolish even back then that I thought a young a young buck named Byron Buxton was going to carry my team in stolen bases. And I had a stolen bases, just a plenty on the team. But as it turns out, I was very, very weak in stolen bases. And I fixed both of those in fat. So the good thing is... You do have 26 long weeks to fix weaknesses in a contest with the overall. Um, But, you know, ideally you want as balanced team as possible. In some ways, it's the exact same game. Like we can overthink it and we can create differences. But in lots of ways, it is the same thing. You are ultimately trying to compile the most points um, in, in a roto fashion, the same way you are in a 10 team league, a 12 team team league and a 15 team league. So for those people who have never done it before, and it sounds scary, like I'm competing against how many hundred people uh, for this? Like it, it, in some ways it is very complicated in some ways it is like, uh, but in most ways it's exactly the same thing. The big difference. And Mike is noticing this every single minute that there are games going on is by this time of the year in a standard roto league you can go up three points in your in a day you can go down five points in a really bad day and those days that you shoot up three points are awesome the day you go down three or four points just feel devastating but it's only three fucking points at the end of the day when you multiply by the number of teams over each of the categories <clears throat> the gyrations in the overall standings, it's like the it's like the stock market or an electricity market. Like they feel massive and the swings are massive. 
And it's this giant game of whack-a-mole competing in the overall by this time of uh, year. And I'll, I'll preface this by saying, I wish I had kept a log in 2016 when I won. And there just isn't the history, the data history and like Twitter history. or And they, I don't think they sent out emails even every week back then. Um, I wasn't in, I wasn't in the top 50 yet this like today I got into the top 15, 20 and memory is a funny thing. So I wouldn't want to be, I wouldn't swear on uh, an affidavit that this is accurate. I think I got into the fifth top 15, top 20 for the first time when I was on vacation. So it would, it would have been the first or second week of August when I started being really competitive. But as early as as late as like the start of July, I wasn't in the top hundred. So I came from like from behind and made up a lot of points and then just never looked back. But there were bad days and I'm all over the part the place now and I'll I'll stop talking and we can kind of go topic by topic. <clears throat> It is, it, this it, This will sound ridiculous and precious to, to peop, some people listening, and I totally understand why it sounds ridiculous and precious to some people listening. It is mentally very draining playing and competing at the top level in an overall comp- competition mm-hmm. because <clears throat> on days that your team is doing well, and it, to be fair, you could be in a Yahoo league for 50 bucks with your buddies, and this could be exactly the same thing. So it's not just because there's a couple hundred thousand bucks on the line that this is true. If, if you're of a personality, this could be true literally in your home league with your buddies, but it's more when, when there's more money there, it does change things. Days your team shoots up and is kicking butt. You feel smart. You feel good. I'm awesome at this. I I'm good at this. Like people should have me on podcast to talk about this because <laughs> I'm awesome. And then your team sucks for three days. And it's like, I'm an idiot. I suck. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a total fraud here. And all of these, this sounds dramatic. Like I'm I'm just using hyperbole. These things go through your head. I'm a pretty self-confident, pretty pretty like even keeled, well-adjusted person. I feel happier and smarter and better about myself on days that it's going well. This is so stupid. These these are these are professional athletes who have no idea that I own them on my pretend baseball team. I literally have no control over what they do day to day. When I set my lineup on Monday, the die has been cast, and yet this is very real. So I think a big part of this is psychological. Like it's just you have to know which nights I have to just turn off my phone and like there's nothing I can do. Me refreshing the standings every thirty seconds is not making anybody play better. It's just like hurting myself, my relationships, my life. And tomorrow the stats are going to be the stats either way. Like the reality is going to happen. So it's, um, it's tough because so much of the fun of it is refreshing the standings every 30 seconds and seeing your team kicking ass. That's part of why you do it is to see that. And yet, you have to stop at a certain point. Like you have to pull back and it's not because you don't care. It's not because you're not like committed to it. Everybody's playing this is committed to it and cares and is like driven, but it's, uh, it's tough. It's grinding. Like I'm sure Mike has had some really good days and some really bad days. He's the same dude on the good days and the bad days. He's no smarter, no dumber. He's exactly as smart and as dumb on both of those days. Um, but it's very human nature and it's really tough. 
anyways, that's a long rant. So it's awesome. And it's uh, awful because uh, <laughs> I won in 2016. There were two other years that I was like, I uh, one year I finished uh, 10th and one year I finished, I think, 13th or 14th. So I had two other years where I had like real shots at it and fucked it up, fell short. Didn't like if only there had been an extra month of the seat, like, but didn't win. And but was right there, like was very close. I, I don't think I was any smarter that those years or dumber. So I can just speak on that aspect of things is uh, it's mentally exhausting. And it was bad because not only is it I'm competing at the highest, what I view as one of the highest levels in fantasy, but I'm also, it's my first time doing it. So it's like I, I'm spiking like a, all, a potentially best season of my fantasy career, first year ever entering. And I, I think there's this weird added pressure to not only finish it out and do it strong, but also to show like my big thing is I have this weird chip on my shoulder. I've placed there on myself that I want to prove I can hang with everyone. I want to prove I'm as good of a player as I am. My big thing was, is like, I don't think I'm as good of a player as I am an analyst, but I'm like, that's a terrible mindset to have. So that's why I was like, well, screw it. Let's see. Let's put my, like, I'm doing all this work. Let's put it to, let's put it to use and really go after it. And so I started off strong and it's been going well. And of course, like, you, like, honestly, by the end of tonight, Rob's right. I could be outside the top 20 for the first time in months. And it doesn't, it's just the way it is. It's been a really bad second half so far for my team, but I have no control over it. My team's really good. And I know that's good. So I know that as bad as it's doing these 10, 15 days, I can easily go on a two month run and be right back in the top five or finishing. You know, I, if I was lucky enough, finish first overall. But it's one of those things where you have to, I, I've learned now. I've, you, there's good and bad swings, no matter how good your team is or how bad your team is. Well, if it's bad, it's always going to be bad. But if your team is really good, you're not sitting here in the second half with a bad team. I, I don't believe that. I do believe that you can screw it up managing it wise. But like I've made some really solid ads this week. Like even just this week, I got Ginkle who got me a save. I have Massey who's been hitting decently, just empty. And uh, uh, Jankowski who's, I think he got me a stolen base already. So it's like, I'm still making the right moves, but my pitching is my ERA has jumped from 3.4 to 3.6 over the last 10 days. To give you an idea, my whip's gone up like 0.4 points, I think, or 0.3 points. So it just it goes to show you that if, I, if it turns around the other way, I'll be back in the top 10. So it's it's a matter of trying to be patient, trying to remind yourself. Like, like big thing is, is you have to remind yourself it's out of your control. You're doing the best you can, and you're putting all this pressure on yourself. But, but at the end of the day, you can't actually do like you have no actual literal control you're making the best moves based on recent trends based on the uh, matchups based on whatever it might be projections etc you're doing the right things because obviously you're you've gotten here or you're you were trending this way for a reason it's it's out of your control beyond that so it's, it's aggravating when your process isn't giving the same results consistently all year and you start blaming yourself. You start thinking, well, am I not really this good? You start, the self-doubt does kick in, especially for somebody like me who hasn't proven myself in this arena yet. One good year, like I'm going to, even if I finish off really strong, I'm not going to, I still am going to feel this need to prove myself just because I want to show like, hey, it wasn't a one-time thing. I'm not a fluke. I'm actually a good player. And I want to, I had this, I always have this weird need to be like, hey, look, I can do like the, the whole prove it thing. I have a really big, it's a, it's a competitive thing. I think in my brain, it's, I'm broken a little bit where I just want to show like, it wasn't a fluke. I can I can do this. This is this. I'm actually a good player, and I and I, I think I'm seeking that validation more than I probably should or should even care about. But it's part of it. It's part of it for me because I did the same thing as an analyst. The reason why I grinded to even get the spots I, I've been in and the places I've written for is because I want to prove like I belong 
And now that I've done that, it's like, well, what's the next step? Let me prove I belong as a player. So I'm kind of shifting mindsets and all that. But I think that's why. So there's this weird added pressure beyond the, am I making the right moves to like, all right, I want to prove I'm doing this. I know what the hell I'm doing. And I do think I'm proving that, but I still think one year isn't enough. So now it's like over here, regardless of how I can do this year, I'm still going to think, got to repeat next year. Now if I come up short, finish finish even if i unless I, if i win another main or something if i win my own league next year type of thing that's fine but it's one of those things where it's like it takes I, i'm very impatient and i know it takes time to prove yourself and anything you do but i i, I instagratification is a thing so yeah it's been one of those things where but it's been it's there's been times where i've noticed like you're right i rob i just have to shut my phone put my phone down for the night and go to bed and sometimes i'll wake up to a couple home runs I'm like sweet i went to bed early enough and i got to actually wake up to that but um it's it's yeah it can ruin your moods it's stupid like something that's so tra- like, at the end of the day like right, like the other day i was like thinking because i was like i said entering the half uh top 10 i was like doing the math i'm like so i finished 10th overall and i win my league that's this much money but if but now it's like now i'm in the mindset of like well now i'm 15th and the guy like there's a uh, nelson souza does football he does ftn though he's a good player he's a volume player too so he's 17th overall so me and him like he's back to back with me in my league and i'm like well now i can go from being first to I can be top. I can, what, what if I finish thirtieth in the overall and second in my league? I'm like, all right, that's two. That's all right. It's, you know, it's two buy-ins next year, basically. I, I think it, so. It's like I go, I go from being really optimistic with what I could win to like really pessimistic, and I and I try to remind myself, hey, you have two more months still. This is going to happen again, probably. You're going to go up and go down, and as long as you just if the process has worked for you this far, keep plugging, keep plugging away. Just remember, you're doing the right things. Just a lot of stuff's out of your control, and it's that's the hardest thing to really wrap your head around with that with the mental aspect of things, honestly. How many people get paid out in the overall? Is it 50? I think it's 31. I oh, saw like 31 randomly. Year, yeah. yeah, it was like 30. So I thought it was 30. It was like 31. It's like a weird number. Like I think um, 30. I, I, I have finished one below where the cutoff uh, <laughs> oh. was twice uh, before. So they, 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 what they usually do, uh, the NFBC is really good about it. So they budget for X number of teams based on what the overall prize is when they exceed that as they have almost every single year. So they call it a sellout, but then they keep adding uh, leagues, mm-hmm. you know, the league prizes, what each league pay, uh, pays out that's set in rule. So they, they know if you win your league, you're going to get X thousand if you finish second in your league, but then there's a certain amount of money left over that goes to the overall. And they usually, the, the top prize is, is set because that's the big headline that they put on the posters and, and get people to, to sign up. So they usually just keep adding money kind of down, which I think is a very good way to do it. It sucks finishing, let's say, 16th overall and getting nothing for it because that's an amazing accomplishment. So should you get 50,000 bucks? No, there isn't enough money for that. The the whole math of it doesn't work. You should get something for it because it's an awesome achievement. Yeah, and it's just one of those things, though. It's like I'm very – I'm competitive. I'm over here thinking like – 10th wouldn't be i wouldn't even be happy with 10th rob and i know i should be i should be happy to even be 15th right now i know i should be happy i should be patting myself on the back and excited that i'm even here right now but i can't allow that for myself and uh, i think again it's a, it's so, a broken... so, so so there's two ways to look at it i think so I, I i this is just me i'm not saying this is right or wrong I, this is how i look at it when i give my entrance fees in march i assume the money is gone so if i can't afford to do it i i can't do it the money's gone uh it's out of my bank account i have given a check to greg i shall not win this money i try so hard to never do the math that mike is talking about like i'm in second place in the platinum first place in the diamond 
holy cow, that's over a hundred thousand bucks. And that's tax free because we're Canadian Joe. So we don't pay tax on <laughs> that money. I try so hard not to do that conversation because I haven't won anything. I've only lost money. Oh, I have paid entrance uh, fees. So until that last day of the season, the last day of the season, I start allowing myself to do the accounting, but I really try hard. Human, human nature. I can't and I always succeed on it. Two, this I is think, ultimately a sorry, hobby for me. Oh, I was, um, I was real I, quick. I wanted to interject just because yeah, um, I, I think I think it would be easier for me to do that if this wasn't the first time and everything just super totally, amplified and excited totally, for me right now. And totally, it's like, totally. And, and I'm with you, Rob. I'm not shitting, even, and I'm not shitting on you just to be no, clear for doing it, it because it, I certainly have done it a billion honestly, times. Honestly, if you were shitting on me, I, I'd be actually excited because I look forward to the, the snark every time I hear you on a podcast. And the fact that I haven't had much tonight is really upsetting me. But, um, <laughs> uh, be, am I being but, too friendly? I'm, you're being I'll, very I'll friendly. To, I'll snap it's, out of it. No, but it's one of those things where it's – um. I, I don't think I would be this bad if it wasn't my first year. Like, say I had a couple of years where I was like mediocre, mid pack, like, okay, I've experienced it and finding success now, finally, after it's like one of those things where it's like, shit, I set the bar so high now. Like, if I fail the second half, I'm going to really hate my life. And if I go into next year and I really, and I shit the bed next year, I'm really going to hate my life even more. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, so I'm going to tell you something that I, yeah. I, I think is, should make you excited, that would make me excited if I were you. I think the only thing you can ask for, whether it's in your own league or in the overall, is a shot those last four to six weeks. Yeah. Is a shot to win. Um, a sweat those last four to six weeks. And is it frustrating that I was first overall and then I'm going into September 20th overall, 200 points out of first place? Hell yeah. Like, of course yeah. it's. Like, I want to be in first and I'm in 20th. There are 19 teams doing better than me right now but if you're 20th overall heading into september you've got a shot and you've got the opportunity to sit down and say i need 200 points i need to hold what i've got and find 200 points or 300 points or whatever yeah. it is and this is what i'm gonna do and here's the plan for these next four weeks that's all you want if you're in your own individual league whether you're sitting at home in your 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 home league or 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 any league that you're in all you could want is going down that stretch that those games matter to you because there's nothing shittier than a fantasy uh baseball league where you're trying to find yourself because i'm also competitive moral victories and i do this i have leagues where it's like i just want to finish in the top half of this league because this team didn't work so i'm i'm busting my ass to get to sixth place in this league because i want when i see the people I want at least nine of them to, to know, even if I would never yeah. say it, because neither of us won the league, that I at least beat you in this <laughs> uh, uh, league. But that's a moral victory. That yeah. sucks at the end of the day. We all suck in, in that league. So all you want, even if you, you end up losing, and losing sucks. You don't play it to finish uh, second, second or third. Um, though finishing second or third overall still is awesome, Mike. <laughs> Trust me, it's still awesome. I'm it sure it will be. It still be. It will still be awesome money. Your wife would not say, "I can't believe, Mike, you only finished second and won one fifty thousand bucks or whatever second place yeah. uh, is in the overall." But my point is, this is ultimately a hobby for most of us, it's a and hobby. the fun part of the hobby is the sweat. Is that is doing that analysis? I know the winters are fun. Like doing the player crunching is fun. All of that is fun. It's all part of the hobby. But you can all you can want is for you to be playing meaningful baseball games in September. And if you yeah. get that, then you've had an awesome season. Even uh -huh. if it doesn't work out, I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm not trying to like pat you on the head and here's your participation uh, <laughs> ribbon. It's nothing like that. I just think if you're if you're still in it going down the stretch, 
that's exciting and that's awesome. And that will give you a guarantee, Mike, even if it's crushing at the end. And let's be honest, like there are 550 or whatever teams that are like, there's only one person who's going to win this I year. Know, so I know. it's going to be crushing for most people. Um, but that's the drug. That's the yeah. high. That's the addiction is getting that shot to be because then you're refreshed. If you think you've been refreshing your phone every 30 seconds in like May <laughs> and June, I can tell you my cell phone bills were quite high in September 2016. Like going to places there was no Wi-Fi and still having it checking because it's awesome. And it's sweating and it's then you can be crazy strategic and tactical in terms of whether it works or not. Here's how I'm going to hump out those two extra points in this category and 50 points in this category. Yeah, I do want to ask you guys because it kind of relates to what we're talking about right now. There must come a point in the season where you kind of have to make a decision uh, if you want to compete. I mean, if you're in an overall contest, you're competing regardless. But there comes a point, I think maybe we're approaching it now. I'll let you guys tell me where you kind of have to make the decision. Is this team going to actually have a legitimate chance at the overall, or should I just still maybe just go for my league title and you know forget about the overall? At what point of the year do you kind of start to make that switch in your head? If you do even make that switch, maybe if you remain competitive all the way, then you don't have to think about that. But if you're a team that's you know, 200th in the overall or something at this point of the year, would you just start to focus solely on your league, maybe start punting some categories, or have we not hit that point yet for you guys? I mean, I know if it was me, of the way I... I kind of this year i found myself attacking the overall a little bit earlier than i probably had to but it was more so because i've realized for me i've realized my team needs in my actual league are lining up with what i need in the overall as well so it's kind of been nice to be able to not have to worry about two separate needs but if i like right now if i'm sitting like you said if i'm sitting like 200 ish maybe 250 i probably would have started considering all right the, I, I have Clay Holmes and no other closer, and I'm over here just trying to, instead of wasting fab, trying to find the next guy or trying to stash that guy, maybe I start thinking, let's go ahead and punt those saves and really attack other categories the best I can and really try to make a run at my league, depending on how many. And obviously, you have to look at standings per category, players available, what other teams around you need or who would go after. Like if you drop Holmes, would it give that guy who's in first place or ahead of you too many more points? So you have to be mindful, like you have to block other players and with your moves and stuff, all that. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. But just like, You can punt a category all you want, but you might also be burning a bench spot to stop a player from gaining points there. That's going to stop you from gaining points too. So it's like one of those things where there's a lot of, it's a really delicate balance, at least from what I've seen and what I've learned so far. But at the end of the day that, yeah, I would, I'd probably say second half would be a good, a good part to at least if you haven't started, maybe start punting. I can even see starting punt um, a little before the second half. If you really feel like your team is just awful and you have no chance to the overall go for your league, just, it never hurts to make that shift earlier if you really truly believe your team just doesn't have that balance or the overall potential to get there but i would like to try i think the second half is a good spot for me personally where do you think that um, cutoff is ranking wise where you'd make that decision uh see I, that's i, I, do I don't that. think ranking is the, is the right way to do it so i no. think that the way i would do it if i if somebody's listening in a 15 team main event uh league um do it by points so to win the overall this is not a this is not a hard fast rule. You need 125 to 135 lead points in your league. If you can't get to 125 uh, points, it's not that you cannot win the overall, but the correlation between winning the overall uh, is very low. Uh, if you can get to 125 points in your league, and I don't mean you're at 125 points. It's like I see a path to getting to 125 points. 
then you have a real shot at winning the overall. If you get over 120 points, I can be competitive in the overall. And guess what? If you can also get to 120, 125 points, your odds of winning your league are very good. Uh, not guaranteed. Somebody else could have 130 points. But if you gave me 115 team leagues and said you're going to get 125 points, I'm going to win 95, 98, 99 of, uh, of them. So I would do, I would stick in some ways if I'm trying to do the breakdown of how many points can this team honestly get, be honest, obviously, um, by the end of the season. And if the answer is there is no scenario this team because of weakness, I'm, I, I have three points right now in saves and I have six points in batting average. And there's just, I'm not going up that much in those leagues. And therefore the maximum number of points I can get in this league um, is 114. Guess what? You're also not going to get in the top 25, almost certainly in the, the overall. Like it's just the math is not going to work out for you. So it's not where I am right now ranking points. I could be, I'm not saying this is true, I could be 150th, but because I'm just below a bunch of big, so there, the way that categories work, and this is the concept of SGP and how it works, is there are points within categories where suddenly 10 runs could shoot me up four points, or in the overall, 10 runs could get me 100 points, and 10 runs is literally a good night. Now, it's 10 more runs than everybody else, so... It's not actually quite how it works, but I could certainly gain 10, 10 runs in a week on the entire contest. It's not that hard uh, to do. It's literally, it's less than one run per player on my offense. So you could be in theory in 150th place right now, but be in a great position to be in top 50 overall um, by the end of the season. Conversely, I could be 150th overall, and this could literally be the peak of my team. Like the, the the next point for my team is extraordinarily difficult to find where it's going to come from. So it's not as it's not as simple as rankings, but I think your league standings will give you the breadcrumbs to answering that question. How many points am I going to be able to get to this team? Like I just think you need to be able to get over 120. If you can't get over 120, you're probably not. Um, going to be competitive overall. Yeah, that makes sense. How many points are you at right now, Mike, in your league? Do you know offhand? Uh, 122, 123. Like there you go. See, right it's a perfect rule. It works every time. It was at like 127 entering the this, break. But right? see, that, see, that's that's that, that's that's <laughs> what yeah, I'm saying. Back, yeah. Is it's it's you can see, and my guess is when you do the when you close your eyes and say, what does this team look like category wise? Uh, if I win the overall, you're probably right around 130. So you were yeah. at 127, but like there'll be there'll be erosion. Like it's that kind of it. Again, it's not perfect. It's not if you get to 128.5, you have one. It's nothing like that. But there's pretty good correlation between those two things. And even with my team right now, like I said, it's struggling. It's going through like one of the worst like runs it's had this year. I can still see a path to legitimately see a path to another seven, eight points right now at, with my team at its worst, like yeah. at, coming off a really bad week and all the other stuff. So it's one of, that's one of those things where it's like, I can still see my team getting 100. Things have to fall right for me, but I can see 130 point, uh, points in my individual league if yeah. everything falls right. So yeah, that's, that's why that's, that's why. 
you're 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 not losing you're you're not losing a Souza if you get ninety nine point five times out of hundred. If you get to one thirty, you're going to be okay. And if Souza finds a way to get to one hundred thirty one points and you're at one thirty, you tip your hat to him and say that's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, and that's but that's the thing. Also, Souza is also he's one of my he's one of the guys like every like every often we flip flop in one category, so it's like a two point swing, and that's yep. where it's a big one. But um, yeah, Souza is my main competition right now. Uh, Jewett's hanging around in there. There's two other guys hanging around in third place, but me and me and Souza both being top twenty in the overall fighting back and forth. Like right now, we're back to back in the standings. Last I checked, um, I'm trying not to check too hard right now because Bayo is crushing, uh, killing it versus the Braves on my bench because obviously he would get crushed by the A's on my starting roster the week before, and so that's where that's where is the you know the over not the overthinking but the frustration kicks in because your pro- the right process was to sit. Bayo versus the Braves. Like you don't yep. start anyway versus the Braves, especially coming off a terrible start versus the A's. And then he does that on your bench. It hurts because now if all he does is gets a couple runs, pitches like seven innings strong. That's a hell of a start on my bench when my team's been, you know, struggling to get by with pitching. So you try not to beat yourself up over that because I think that was a good process. So my sign up for Ginkle to get to chase saves. So I got my saves. So it's not like I didn't get the stats I'm targeting. It was just aggravating that I thought it was a good process and so far not so good. It's just uh, also he, he, also all of your mental energy, Mike, is on this podcast right now. So anything that takes away from from that, like checking the standings in the overall, uh, it's, it's just Joe deserve Joe deserves like oh, 120 percent. Last I checked, this was actually very like pro, pro podcast like material. I'm talking about the mental aspect of process, proper process versus like not getting the results. Like I think the process was great there. The results yeah. were see sometimes you have to trust your process because I can tell you right now, nine like 10 times out of 10, I'm probably sitting a guy versus the Braves. Like it doesn't yeah. matter, especially when I'm sorry, because as good as Bayo's been, he's not a must start against the Braves. No, no. And Very I, though I though I do love Bayo. Oh, I do too. I'm, I almost, I almost dropped him back when he got demoted, and then he, he came back up right before that Sunday because of the injury, and he stayed up ever since. And I kept him after, I, and it's one of those things. I'm like, thank God, because I was, I was dropping him, I was cutting him. I was like, oh, he got sent down. He's gonna be down there for like a month. He's gonna work on things because he looked so bad, you know, kind of rusty after coming off the IL early in the year. But yeah, no, it worked out. But yeah, that's the thing though. At the end of the day. Uh, process is a big thing and you have to trust your process and i do i trusted my process there and it's burned me a time or two this year with starters and it just sucks because it's it's amplified right now i wouldn't care so much if i wasn't going through such a bad run of pitching and that's where it hurts the most watching him crush it on my bench when i need those quality inning training like everyone else probably does hey you just tweeted this so, so not yes. only are you checking the standings you, you also just tweeted about Sa- says the person it. says the person who shouldn't be giving all his energy to the podcast right exactly yeah, but i feel i feel in case there's more breaking news i want joe to make sure uh, yeah. we have we have the the latest breaking news on the podcast right now i, I i'm really good at multitasking man i was listening I know, to everything you said you, have, you, have, you know what you're it's, doing it's adhd don't worry about me I, I, multitasking is my my best friend but yeah uh so we yeah, have process first results sometimes it doesn't work out that way usually. but at the end of the day i do trust my process it's gotten me this far so far we'll see the last thing I do want to ask you guys is what is like the best piece of advice you could give to anybody? I guess Rob is best suited for this having won the overall. What is the best advice you could give to somebody? I guess Rob to Mike right now competing for an overall. If you could just tell some random person one thing about an overall that would you in your mind give them the best chance to compete, what would it be? To compete for an overall or to win the overall? Because win the overall is a talk if I had if I had like the the, the just just plant these beans in your backyard in February, Mike, and come come October, you'll have an overall championship. If it was that easy, uh, I'd have seven <laughs> overall championships. So is it to be competitive in the overall or I guess how different is the answer between the two of them? 
Um, well, I think where Mike is right now, and I know he already has done this, and it sounds trite to do. So the advantage I had in 2016, when like at this time of year, was as I mentioned earlier, I was clearly deficient in saves and stolen bases. So I was able to be crystal clear about what I needed. And if I nailed that, then I was going to be in great shape. And if I failed to nail that, I'd have no shot. In some ways, in some ways, that's the worst position to be in. Because if I were there right now, and and you know, Mike Mike said, uh, you know, there there are uncertain closer situations. Arizona is certainly one of them. So finally, there are some saves coming into to the the player pool there may be some trades at the deadline that will create a couple of closer situations this would not be a great year for example to to say if i can only find two new closers i have a real shot at it because there haven't been closers who have come uh into the the situation or sorry into the player pool um but just having a deficiency in a category like saves or stolen bases in some ways is a big advantage um as opposed to I need to get everything a bit better because that's hard. Like yeah. that, if everybody just plays five percent better, then things will be fine. It's like, well, fuck. I think they're doing their best. I don't know where that's <laughs> gonna come from. Um, but having a very clear um, sense of this is my path to victory. I think like this is where the points are gonna come from. I think is really important and doing that analysis honestly. Um, but not being overly aggressive with that because the challenge even with that is let's say I need stolen bases. So let's say I'm middle of the pack in stolen bases. If I can get 150 points, I, I see the next 10 stolen bases get me uh, X hundred points and that's the path to victory. So I pick up John Birdie or whoever the next John Birdie is thinking John Birdie is going to shoot me up uh, in stolen bases. And I'm so strong in home runs for RBIs and runs that I can have John Birdie on my team. And I'm focusing on the, and the stolen bases are coming. This is working. It's very easy to fall into the trap in an overall, even more than an individual league of it's like, wow, my home runs are eroding. And I don't even notice that it's eroding, but it's slowly picking away. Fantasy, like Roto fantasy is a game of whack-a-mole. You bring in John Birdie, something else is giving. So it's tough. Um, but yeah, just being as clear and honest on the points, like that's why I tell Mike, if you can go in September with just a shot, that's when it's really fun. Like that's a fun micro game to be able to play. It's still really early. Like I think Mike, from the sounds of it, Mike's doing it well. We're still at the point of the season. He's acutely aware of where his weaknesses are or like not to- – he doesn't have weaknesses because the team. No, doing no, so I well. do. I have, a t- I have, I have stats in like in the 60th percentile. I'm just doing re- really well in other uh, okay. stats that are carrying those. But it's frustrating because the stats, like I think the stats, for instance, are like WHIP, where it's really hard to make really up that much ground in WHIP yeah. at this point in the season. So and yeah, like whip I said, and batting, whip, whip and batting average are tough to to swing and, a ton, but they can move. They can move yeah. like you chip away. The good thing that's going to come for you for WHIP, you're going to see Mike, and you know this, but I'll repeat it is two things one pitching gets shittier generally uh, as Mm -hmm. like the next month and then heading into september and two there even in the nfbc main event there are guys ahead of you in whip guaranteed who are going to start mailing it in who are going to start having like it's not that they give up on their team but they're going to be lazy about their team so there will be some freebie points in whip oh yeah uh, and that's what i'm hoping for i'm hoping for these those where i'm weakest 
but again, like, it, it really benefits me that my weakest spots are also some of the better spots I can gain in my own actual league. So I'm still trying to attack them. It's just one of those things where it's really hard. Like right now, runs, which I wasn't supposed to be weak in runs. I had India and Mullins, both of which lost their lineup spots, both dropped to the bottom half of the lineups. Mullins just dropping out of the line because he's injured. But so it's like now I need to try to make up runs, and Jankowski batting second for now might help. But it's like if I can gain some runs, like these are like so those are the areas I'm like really the weakest. I think like 60th percentile or right around there, where it's like every single one of those are really helping. So like that's where it's like I know my needs, but they're also very tough needs because it's not every day you're just going to find a leadoff hitter off the waiver wire, or if there is one probably not worth there's a reason why they're out there right now at this point of the year yeah. too so it's one of those things where it's like tougher spots like i i do but again i do think like if india gets traded india might probably gonna it's not gonna be like rosario where if india gets dealt there's a good chance india could end up in the top third of a lineup whereas rosario i'm surprised he was even in the top third of his own lineup at the time but <laughs> yeah. um so it's like i'm hopeful that like if because the you know the india rumors it's gonna suck that he's leaving uh the reds ballpark and all that but maybe gains played appearances and some run potential so it's like give and take but yeah i know my weaknesses i know i know exactly and i know that that's going to help me like having some glaring weaknesses even if i can't find a definitive answer i still think i'm going to gain there as teams drop as i keep pushing forward as i find maybe catch a couple hot hitters that just like, get like five or six runs in a week that maybe even while batting towards the bottom half of the lineup just because they ran hot so like i know stuff like that will happen which is what happened right before the break which helped vault me a little bit so yeah i'm kind of banking on that a little bit but i'm trying not to just rest on the idea that's what's going to happen even though I, like you said i can pretty much assure that some of that's going to happen you know a little bit but i'm trying to obviously rectify that as well through the through the through the fad process but it's just really difficult some of the stats that i'm lower in right now just because it's not as easy to rectify that either a because it's a ratio stat this late in the year or b because it's a, a stat that's accounting stat that's harder to come by because of the type of player it would take to get that isn't readily available to stream off the waiver wire very interesting guys what you've given us here tonight is going to be a part of my draft prep for next season because you guys have brought a lot of knowledge here a lot of information and i really appreciate you taking the time uh in the evening here while games are going on uh to do a podcast so guys uh both yeah, of you my, my, mike you. has a seven screens in the background he's <laughs> actually watched all the games already he's uh he's live tweeted everything that's all he's, he's he hasn't he hasn't missed a thing tonight I jinxed Bayo. He just gave up three on home run. So there's that. Jeez, that's, that's dark. That's dark. I, I kind of feel better now. Is it that's bad? A, that's that I okay. I've got, I've, got, I've got Strider on my platinum team, so I need the win. There you go. That'll work. Guys, uh, I want to give you a chance before we do sign off here, uh, just to remind everybody one more time where they can find you and what you got going on. Rob, why don't we start with you this time? Uh, Launch Angle Podcast. Uh, we're recording tomorrow and uh, at Twitter at Rob Silver. Yeah, I was looking actually just as a side note, your co-host Rob DiPietro, not doing too shabby uh, in the main event either. He's a top twenty Rob team is there a as well. Beast. He's, he's tell, ridiculous. Tell him, tell him he like can tell him he can uh, back off any moment now. I'd appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Mike can feel him uh, coming up behind him, but oh, I, I feel his breath on my neck, and not in a way I, I want to, you know, <laughs> uh, not in the the hot erotic way that uh, Mrs. DiPietro talks about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's I mean, like, I'm I'm just I'm free falling still, man. It's it's just like I got as well as nights. I'm just gonna walk away from my phone. My team yeah. has like seven hits and, and not a single counting stat. One of those nights. Yeah, do not look at <laughs> the phone, Mike. Uh, remind us one more time what you got going on, Mike, with all your work, because it is really, truly worth following up with. A, a bunch of sadness and depression, but beyond that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Beyond that, the happiness is sure, is sure to come, I hope. But uh, yeah, no, really, just if you follow me at, on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland, uh, I tweet pretty much everything out that I'm doing, and you can find my work there for the most part, and you'll see whatever i post i don't know i've been i've been trying to take a break from twitter because i'm trying to just 
get off social media so much. I'm trying to stay off my phone as much because I realized that all-star break was so nice to get away and unplug, but there's, I'll have more time for that in October. I got to keep it pedal to the metal. There's no, there's no days off right now. Right, Rob? I got to, I got to bring this yeah. home. Yeah. Keep, keep working. Keep grinding. That's all you can do. I just want to yeah. cry. It's not the cry. time of year for you to be taking, <laughs> uh, taking any days off here, but make sure you're following up with both of these guys at Mike underscore Curlin at Rob Silver on Twitter and follow along with all of their great work. They're not only great people, but they're great analysts and great fantasy players as well. Uh, so definitely guys to be following over on Twitter or X or whatever the hell it's called these days. <laughs> you can go find me while the site is still whatever the hell it is at Joe Rico 99. And you can follow up with all the rest of the work from our writers and podcasters at ethos fantasy BB on Twitter. But guys, until tomorrow, uh, have a great night. And until then, take care. And cheers. <laughs> <laughs>